Welcome to the Charleston School of Law podcast. I'm your host, John Struble. Housekeeping note for you, if you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to our channel on iTunes or Spotify, or you can listen to streaming interviews on our website at charlestonlaw.edu. It's episode number seven, and our guest today is Mr. Richard Waring, a Charleston Law graduate from the class of 2012. Richard, welcome to the Charleston School of Law podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We are excited to have you. Um, Tell us where you are and what you do professionally now since you graduated from here 10 years ago, and then we'll dig into that a little deeper. Sounds good. It's been a fast 10 years. <laughs> uh, right now, I have the, the absolute pleasure of serving as the vice president and executive director of diversity, equity, inclusion for the Charleston Metro Chamber of Commerce. Now, when I say that to you just before we click the microphones on, I said, how long you been with the chamber? You go six weeks. So I'm like, remembering that title alone, you, go, you must have to pause or re- repeat in the mirror a few times. It's a mouthful. <laughs> Well, let's start there. You you never practice law in a traditional sense. Law school, bar exam, then attorney. What what people think is kind of the traditional path to being uh, in the legal profession. But it was never your intent to do so. You had a different vision. Number one, why did you have a different vision? So... Um I'm a Charleston native, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> there are not many of us here, believe it or not, as, as fast as the city is growing. But I grew up in a really small town um, outside of Johns Island called Red Top. Yeah. I don't know if you ever heard of it Yeah, or not, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Red Top. Right. But um, from, from Red Top, I, I have a different view and vision of what a community is. Mm. Um, you know, we all grew up together. We all shared... Um, you know, we, we shared our good times together. We shared our bad times together. And uh, I started to see some things in smaller communities as I grew older and I matured and, you know, I became a part of the workforce. And as I, you know, got further into my education and I, I, I saw some inequities there. Mm. And I wanted to put myself in a place where I could do something for the people in my community. Mm. Um, to be a voice and um, maybe in a non-traditional way. I I, I didn't want to be a politician. I didn't want to be in a courtroom in front of a a judge. Yeah. But I do think that there were ways that I could help, and I thought that maybe a non-traditional course of education could get me to a point where I could be that voice, where I could be an advocate for the people of Red Top and, and small towns like it. So that kind of informs as to why you decided to earn a law degree, to, I would assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. it sounds like um, having that law education and background and understanding open doors and really was allowed you to maybe understand how to approach some of those challenges in the communities. Absolutely. Um, it, it took me a long time to be able to put a name to what I was seeing, but I just knew that what I was seeing didn't feel right. Yeah. It didn't feel good. So after some time, I came across the, the, the term economic development. Okay. And uh, economic development is a pretty broad spread topic, but to me, I boiled it down to access. Mm access to health care, access to education, access to affordable housing, access to a job that pays a living wage. Mm. And uh, it became very pertinent to me when I looked back at the life of my mother. Mm. Now, my mother's still alive and well, still mm-hmm. lives in Red Top. Um, she's 81 years old. Okay. When she was 12... Her mother became ill with cancer and diabetes. Because of a lack of access, you know, her father, you know, had to work. 
wasn't necessarily earning a living wage, but did the very best that he could to support his family. But my mother had to stop school in the seventh grade to become a caretaker for her mother. Wow. Right. Um, you know, life went on. Um, she never did get the opportunity to go back to school. You know, she started a family, and um, through life and in the, in the annals of time, you know, she became a, a single mother of five children and um, took care of us with a seventh-grade education. One of the smartest people that I know, just naturally, mm -hmm. um, she can walk into any room and held a conversation with anybody, but it just bothered me that she never got the opportunity to do some of the things that she said she wanted to do in life, yeah. and that I knew that she could have done had things been a little bit different. What I admire so much about her is that she made sure that her five children had the opportunity to get the education that she didn't have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I thought it true robbery for me not to step into her shoes to some extent mm. and, and further her dream and realize that she wanted to serve. She wanted to help. She wanted to be more of a voice in her community. And she did that in her own way. Right. And still doing it. Right. But... You know, she never got the opportunity to learn how to, you know, grow the audience and impact people at a greater level. And um, this is where my, my love for the Charleston School of Law and the love for my mother kind of intersect. Yeah. Because, you know, the two kind of put a vision in my mind and it allows me to do what I do now. And I think it's uh, amazing work. I think the Charleston Metro, of, Charleston Metro Chamber of Commerce is an amazing organization with amazing ideas, with an amazing staff, with an amazing vision, and um, they do really great things. And I just, I want people to know more about what they do. And um, I mean, I challenge the listeners to this podcast to, to look at what the chamber does and to see how they can be a partner with the chamber and how the chamber can benefit them. Yeah, we'll talk about the, those details and how people can plug in, whether you're a business or mm -hmm. you're an entrepreneur or somebody. Um, they can plug in so many different ways. Um, I've had that benefit and that opportunity both as a professional and later here at the law school as well. So we'll yes. dig into that. Sure. It's almost as if your mom handed you the baton after seventh grade and you are now carrying it over the finish line. I I have to ask you this question. When you earned your college degree mm -hmm. and then later went on and earned your law degree, mm -hmm. what did that mean to your mother to see you go so far beyond not what she couldn't have done, just mm -hmm. didn't have the opportunity or access at that point because mm -hmm. life circumstances. You know, that's an amazing question. Um, and I have an amazing answer from an amazing woman. <laughs> um, it all lines up perfectly. <laughs> right. Um, I journal. I journal extensively. Okay. And um, I'm a man of faith. Okay. I, I, I don't hide that. You know, my mother instilled that in me. And um, about... Maybe two weeks ago, there's a smaller local newspaper um, based out of Columbia. It's called the Low Country Panorama. Uh -huh. And um, when I started my, my post at the, the chamber, they did an article on me. And um, one of the things I journaled years ago is I want to be in the newspaper for something positive. <laughs> Right, you gotta have that caveat. I gotta have that I caveat. Because I get on the, in the newspaper <laughs> otherwise, it could be brutal. <laughs> but um, I showed my mom, and she said, "Lord, I thank you for letting me see this." That was her first remark. That was her only remark, and for me, that was validation, justification and any other occasion that I needed at the time, yeah. you know. And the Lord promising good and finishing his work. Yes. Sometimes we have to be patient through that Absolutely. process. Absolutely. So I'm so glad 
hopefully she's healthy and she's obviously alive and with us 81 yes and she's able to see you just thrive as you are right now so yes sir congratulations on where you are to this point thank you but i know you're going to do great things so (laughs) let's dig in a little bit about um, how you got to where you are in some of your job uh, responsibilities and duties and how you see it from that 30,000 foot view. And then we'll work our way down as you get closer and you see inside workplaces and how we could be a better as a holistic, you know, industries and things of that nature. Okay. Let's start at 30,000 feet. Okay. Um, your job title again is vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion for the Charleston Chamber of Commerce, yes. 30,000 feet. Um, define what diversity, equity, and inclusion is. Okay. Um, you know, we have to probably keep them in their three parts. Sure. Um, um, to do that the right way. And uh, very simply, you know, just for the, for the sake of, of not overshooting the mark, diversity can most easily be identified or defined as a number. Hmm. Um, You have 100 employees. How many of them don't look like you? Mm -hmm. And it can be oversimplified, but as you incorporate the other two components of it, it gets a little bit more specific. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, in and of itself, diversity is a number. Okay. Fair enough. It, and it's hard to generalize that in one or two sentences. I get it. It is. Uh, because it there is. are tentacles that go way out sure. beyond just race and ethnicity sure. and stuff that you begin to look at. Right. I remember once, and this is funny, it um, shows how life comes full circle, but um, I worked for Bell South for, for many years, and it was in this building. <laughs> <laughs> You're back home. I'm, I'm back home. <laughs> But Did I, you have I, this office? I, I, no, I didn't. This was actually engineering at, at that point. Okay. Um, but I was kind of across the hall. Okay. Um, but I remember one day sitting with my manager, and um, she had to do a report for Human Resources, and they wanted to know what the hiring practices were for Charleston and what the, uh, the, the demographic of the leadership team looked like. Hmm. And it was the strangest thing, and um, it was a pretty straightforward report, you know, check boxes here, mm. but something about it didn't feel right. So she went through the report, um, and we were a little bit heavy on the African-American side. Um, she was an African-American leader, mm-hmm. um, and I think her mission was to, to make the organization look like her. Wasn't quite... Fair. So I remember sitting in this room with her and, and the, the leadership team, and she was going through, and she was like, okay, um, we had one young lady who was uh, biracial. Uh, her mother was Latino. Her father was African American, and, of course, um, she was a female. Mm-hmm. So my boss got real excited. She was like, oh, I can check these boxes off. <laughs> Um, but right. And I mean, it was like, like, this is weird. Yeah. And then she was like, um, okay, I'm going to have to start putting some, uh, some, some white males in, in, in leadership positions because I don't have enough, but it was literally counting and checking boxes. Mm. And I'm like, I've told you on several occasions, you know, these people that I work with every day have the talent to do the job, but they're not getting a chance because before this report came out, there was no accountability as to who you were promoting and who you were giving a chance to. Ah. So when I say diversity can you know, really be a number or checking a box off, if it's boiled down and it's not done the right way, that's exactly what it becomes. Wow. Yeah. Is it still like that to some degree? Do you think just kind of observationally or anecdotally? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's getting better. And I think organizations are taking it more seriously. I think there's more um, attention being called to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think of 
one of my jobs uh, after Bell South, and, and I worked in telecommunications for a very long time. Um, but I had the opportunity to, uh, to, to lead a young man who was uh, totally blind. Mm-hmm. Now, that truly changed my perspective on what leadership was and what true inclusion was. Okay. Um, because he just needed a different set of tools. And I, I left out the word equity there. Mm-hmm. But I would have to say that... Um, for him to do his job, there needed to be certain considerations made. Sure. Once those considerations were made, he was able to perform and compete on the highest level. And he's still doing it and does an amazing job at it. He and I keep in touch. But I realized then that the, the equity piece of the diversity, equity, and inclusion was putting him at a place where he's not, you know, 10 yards back on a 40-yard dash. Yeah. He needs to be right on that starting line with everyone else. Now, for him, that looked like, you know, different equipment, different training, and um, the ability to go through his own specific set of bumps and bruises Mm -hmm. to learn his job. Sure. Um, Once he was given that opportunity, took took the baton and ran. Yeah. um, And does an amazing job. And, um... You know, we worked in a call center, and there was never a a customer that he spoke with that knew that he was blind. Yeah. It was not a crutch for him at all. He didn't use it to his advantage or opportunity or... And let me tell you, the uh, the equipment and the setup that he needed to do his job was was nothing sort of... (laughs) It was intimidating. Yeah. You know, because he had to do so many things that we take for granted that our eyes do for us. Yes. And he didn't have that um, that opportunity to, to do that, so he had to use his other resources. And he learned it, and he did it, and, you know, it made me think, you know, as a leader that, you know, excuses are only as good as what we make them to be. You bet. If you have a desire and you want to get something done, you can get something done. Yeah. And uh, he proved that to me. There's nothing more inspiring to me than to see someone who has the motivation, that has a disability, to go beyond what is the normal scope of that job, to do it and do it well. Exactly. And when you see that happening, Mm -hmm. anyone who's doing the regular job looks like, if he's doing that, he's reset the bar, man. Exactly right. In his case. And it's funny because we actually had two employees that, you know, fell into that category. Both were totally blind. Okay. Um, one lost his sight. The young man that I managed never had sight. Okay. So for him, it was even a different experience than the other gentleman you bet. that didn't have sight because it was something that he had and he lost and he had to learn to circumvent what he knew to now deal with having a disability. Um, yeah, because so, that takes more. There's memory muscle going on there. If sure. you've had sight at one point and go, right. I can hear his voice um, trying to frame up what he might look like, right. whereas the person who was born blind has no sense of what another human looks like. Right. Wild. And it's funny because, uh, you know, it, it all comes back to us being people. I remember we were having a conversation one day, and um, he's Filipino, uh the young man that I that I led personally, mm. and um, you know, we had been working together for probably three years at this point, and we would uh, you know take our breaks together, and we would just sit and talk, um, man of faith as well. Mm. And uh, one day he stopped and he said, "You're a black guy, aren't you?" <laughs> <laughs> you know? And until that point, you know, I just assumed he knew. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, I am, Rolando, you know? <laughs> so, That's so funny. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was just a great experience. But it, it, it made me just a little bit more sharp on understanding that people have different needs. And organizations need to be prepared to meet those needs. Sure. To fully service the work that they're doing. Sure. And now that brings up the inclusion part. Okay. So um, 
the inclusion part was making sure that the young man that I that I led felt that he belonged where he was, that he wasn't different than anyone else for the intensive purposes of job performance, ah. but that whatever he needed to do his job would be there. So that's the behavior part. Mm-hmm. You know, the inclusion is the is the behavior. Mm-hmm. The, the diversity is the number. The equity is the the materials and the resources that are provided. But the inclusion are the behaviors that set are, that are set forth to make a person know that they are part of something and that they are accepted. And you can have one and two, but if you don't support and encourage with three, it all falls apart. Exactly. And that goes back to that initial story I mentioned where, you know, my boss is sitting in a room checking boxes yeah. off. The behavior wasn't there. Right. You know, this was just the, the, the number, you know, for a report. And... You know, I, I, I truly believe, like I said, the companies are leaning in to to making sure that everyone has a voice and everyone could be comfortable expressing that voice mm-hmm. and expressing concerns. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's a true duty of any employer to make sure that that happens. And is protected well. And is protected well. Yeah. Um, Exactly. Agreed. Um, Our guest is Richard Waring. He's with the Charleston Chamber of Commerce, and we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. That is his job at the chamber. He's the VP over that um, work there. Okay, let's move down to 28,000 feet. Sure. So continue on the ride with us, people. Um, This will sound a little bit elementary, so we're casting this wide net and building a foundation. So excuse me in advance for some of the basics here, but what is the purpose of DEI in the workplace? Well, there's definitely a business case for it. Um, If you uh, take a look at Forbes magazine every now and again, they'll run articles on the effect that diversity, equity, inclusion have on the bottom line for a business. Okay. Um, So, for example, let's just say everyone goes to a grocery store, you know. If you go into a grocery store and you don't see anyone that looks like you, some people take an exception to that. Mm -hmm. They want to see people that look like them, that can relate to them, that speak their language and understand their specific needs and wants when they go into an organization. Mm -hmm. If they don't see it, they tend to look for a place that has a better representation of what they're used to seeing. Right. So... There should be a little bit of everybody everywhere. That's a great line. <laughs> That's a great line. It's simple, but it's absolutely the truth. Yes. Yes. So, um, you know, in and of itself, like I said, people want to see people that look like them where they go. And um, so data will show, Richard, that mm-hmm. those industries or specific corporations or businesses that prioritize DEI have good outcomes or have healthy outcomes for what their expectations are? Are you seeing that? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, um, you know, enough data has been done over enough years as to where I believe it. So, um, you know, companies are definitely leaning in to make sure... No one wants to be the company that's pointed out for not being diverse, for not having a workforce that is representative of the area that they serve. Now, that can look different for every area that you go in. You know, we're in Charleston, South Carolina, and we've seen the growth over the last 10 to 15 years that Charleston has seen. Mm. Um, People want to have a level of comfort in knowing that they're not a loner. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go into a place and regardless of my faith or my race or my gender or my choice of sexuality or how I'm presented, someone there gets me and 
I'm going to be respected as a person regardless. Where are my people? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it's just that simple. It it, it's just that simple. You know, we make it hard, but it, it, it really is just that simple. We can make this podcast probably 30 seconds long right. by using all of our phrases. Exactly. Exactly. You know? <laughs> You know, it's funny what they say, uh, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour uh, <laughs> uh, 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 of, of the week for, you know, people. And, um, you know, we, we we tend to worship, you know, yeah, with people that are like-minded and have the same yeah. faith and the same religion and all of that stuff. And it's funny because I worked at a church and they struggled so hard of trying to balance that diversity piece to some degree. And it's like... You can't put a square block in a round hole. You're out in North Mount Pleasant where if you if you go out in the street anywhere out there, how many people of diverse, whether it's color, race, ethnicity, how many of those people do you see? Right. You just, you can't bust them in. And do you want to? No, because it's not going to be a natural fit and a comfortable fit. Right. It has to happen organically. The love of other people and just, you know, the center being, in that case, in that respect, God in the the act of worship. Absolutely. So um, we'll continue. Uh I'm curious, as your role as VP for DEI at the Chamber, do businesses and industries come to you and say, look, we don't do this, or we do it, but we don't do it well. Mm-hmm. We want some consultation and understanding of what a, if we do this or we want to do it better, what are some of the goals in, in framework that we can use mm-hmm. to be better? Um, can you speak on that? Absolutely, um, and that's a great question. Um, just a few weeks ago, um, my director of... Uh, Diversity, equity, inclusion, and I, we're, we're, we're a tag team, Bonnie and Clyde. All right. All us, um, <laughs> but we were uh, contacted by an organization, a county organization, and um, they were saying, you know, we're having some, some issues here mm. with inclusion, and it manifested itself in communication. Communication from the top wasn't being bust down to the uh, frontline managers. Gotcha. And the frontline managers were afraid to make their voices heard to the executive board. Okay. So communication for like for all intents and purposes has just stopped. And um, it was affecting the employees. They felt that anything that they said or did would cause retaliation. So everyone just kind of zipped their lips and were just buzzing around and, you know, doing what they thought was right right um but it became a problem enough of a problem where someone said hey you know we need some guidance on this so um my director and i we went and we did a a four-hour retreat um probably for the first hour the executive team was there and then we politely asked them to leave so Mm -hmm. that we can talk to the frontline leadership and um you used the word a few moments ago that i got to go back to organically um you know, in a short amount of time, we had to build their trust and let them know that, hey, what you say is going to be forwarded, but it's not going to be forwarded in a way that's going to put you in any jeopardy. Right. And um, once they had that level of comfort, they really opened up and said, you know, this is what we're seeing and we don't like this. And this organization had representation from from every aspect that we would look at from a DE and islands. Yeah. Um, LGBTQ uh Gender, race, all those components, uh, yeah, yeah, religion, categories, all yeah. those categories were, were represented, and um, you know it was just really nice to hear what people felt and that they trusted us enough to say what they were feeling because they have a level of trust that we could do something about it. Now, as far as us going in and, and digging through the policy books and saying, "Hey, you got to take this out. You got to take this out," right. We don't have the authority to do that. Right. But what we can do is spread the, the, the word and say, hey, this is what your people are feeling. Right. You need to address this because it's having an effect on the people that you serve. It's, it's, it's truncating your, 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 your ability to reach the public. Right. And you don't want that. That's the opposite of what you know, this organization should want. 
and they do a lot of really good things and they have a lot of really good services. But if the people aren't comfortable enough to to do their jobs with a level of freedom, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's cut short. And trust, too. Um, Definitely. I, I'm kind of inspired and, and really excited to figure out how you got them to trust you in 15 or 20 minutes so mm-hmm. that you could set the stage. Because right. really... People will just stay locked up and be like, yeah, you may be saying that, but right. mm, I don't know about that. Right. I, I'm not going to open up and open my mouth. So so those opportunities where you take a business on a retreat and you really unpack some of this stuff that might be have some hurdles for them to get over and you kind of identify what they, those are and make recommendations to leadership as sure. to how to implement or what to do. Mm-hmm. And they take it from there. Mm-hmm. That is available to the larger industry and community here in Charleston. Is that accurate? And if so, how would they go, if they're listening to this podcast, go, we need that. Yeah. We need that. Uh, the Chamber is an absolute partner for you know anyone in the, in the service area. Yeah. Um, so we, we welcome those opportunities. And um, it's as simple as going to the website, looking me up, and shooting me an email or calling me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we definitely set it up if it needs to be virtual, or if you want us to come in. Um, the the one that we did here recently, we were able to go in and um, have a face to face meeting. And I think that involved the, the that helped with the level of comfort and trust. Sure. Because um, when things are done virtually, electronically, you know, that's kind of the norm now with the pandemic. But people feel that, hey, I'm being recorded or people have access to go back and see that I said this versus, you know, being just in that face to face um, environment with me walking around, not taking extensive notes or or writing your name down. Right. But just talking to you um, made a big difference. Yeah. But, yeah, we are more than welcome, more than willing to to partner um, with anyone in the Charleston area who feels that they're having um, opportunities with diversity, equity, and inclusion right. um, that we could help and give some guidance to. Or even if you have programs and opportunities in place that you may want some extra insight and additional knowledge as to how do we, uh, we've got a, co- it, we're, we're doing it well, but we got a couple challenges here. Mm-hmm. Richard and his team can help you do that through the chamber. And what we're going to do at the bottom of this podcast, right below it, you'll see the links to get in touch with Richard and uh, the page on the Charleston Chamber website, too, if they want to reach out and find out a little more info. So we'll make sure we post that. Let's jump down to 20,000 feet now. We're sure. getting closer to the ground. Sure. <laughs> Things are starting to look a little different now. Um, what, in your experience, do leaders in business know about DEI in the workplace? From your anecdotal experience... Is there a misperception or a misunderstanding as to what it is or what should be done with that? Yes. And we're talking holistically. (laughs) You know, we're talking very broad. That's a broad question. But in general. Yes. Um, I think that it it has garnered enough attention over the last, you know, decade or so as to where, you know, Speaking from a legal background at this point, <laughs> you know, there's, this, these some of these things could be deemed as discriminatory practices mm-hmm. if they're not addressed mm-hmm. properly. Okay. So um, whether it's organic or not, whether it's sincere mm-hmm. or not, it does command a level of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, my hope always is that the work is sincere, mm. that you know the strides that companies make, no matter how small that they're done in sincerity Mm. because if not, you're still back where you are Mm. um, and and no one benefits from it. Mm. But if there is a level of sincerity, then I don't care how slow the train goes down that track, it's going to get better. Mm. Um, But it does take a level of uh, self-accountability for leaders to say, what does this look like? What does this mean? And how does it show up in my organization? Mm-hmm. Um, once they take those three steps and they're able to recognize, you know, hey, I see that this person isolates themselves every day. Mm-hmm. Or when we have a team meeting, they don't say anything. Or when I walk by them, they put their head down. Mm-hmm. Those are indicators that there's a lack of, of inclusion. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that gives them an opportunity to do something about it. Mm. But you have to be in tune enough with your staff to say, I recognize that something is different. Yeah. Um, once that's done, you know, um, you can start moving in the right direction. But some people are set in their ways. You know, some people have been doing a thing for so long a certain way that not necessarily by any means of, of animosity or or purposely doing a, a, a person wrong, mm -hmm. that's just used to how they're doing business. Yeah. And habit. Uh, it's become it's, their it's, habit. It's habit. Exactly right. Um, and the big C word, change. Exactly. And change <laughs> is scary. Change <laughs> is hard, is. <laughs> you know. But um, if if a person truly, you know, desires to lean into this work and to see their businesses grow or, you know, provide more opportunity for people and provide that level of access that I talked about a little yeah. bit earlier, then they will gladly look at this and, and see that things can be done differently. Mm -hmm. 15,000 feet. Coming down. We are getting down. <laughs> you you brought up the train reference. I'm like, no, we're on a plane. Right, we're on a plane. Come I'm on. <laughs> Mode of transportation. You should know that in the chamber. We, right, we got right. a zero in here. Um, are there misconceptions about what diversity is in, in the midst of a culture and all the divisiveness in this world when we should approach that with grace and humility and understanding we divide instead. That's my perception more than anything in the experience I have when I watch any news and it relates to diversity or race right. as, as a whole. So how do you kind of frame that up? You know, if it were a perfect world and I had my say on how we would approach this every time, it would just be, like you said, grace and, and sincerity. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there are a fair amount of leaders that do embrace this work with grace and sincerity. Sure. And some do it as a form of protectionism mm. against, you know, the legalities of what could happen right. for discriminating against a person who is of a different mindset than, than what you are. Um, but whatever way the change happens, I'm okay with, because I think that at some point in time, there will be that connection that says, you know what, I've been seeing this a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Or another leader will come in at a different time and say, you know what, I have a little bit better understanding of what this is, and I'm a little bit more I'm a little bit more ready to, uh, to to guide the train, to guide the airplane. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm staying with our, 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 uh, motor, our motor transportation. Don't get in the car because gas prices <laughs> right. are too high. Oh, my God. That's scary. <laughs> different conversation, right. different podcasts. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the change can come from all over. Yeah. You know, um, and some leaders, you know, can, can change to a certain point. And they can't go any further. That's right. just what's ingrained in them. But we hope that that next person can hey, take the mantle up and say, you know what, I see this a little bit differently. I'm going to challenge myself to see this differently because I realize that I put myself in place to do better business right. by embracing these changes. Right. So. so I'm curious about a question that comes up within that. Say I'm, an, I'm actively pursuing employment, and sure. one of the values – in convictions I have is diversity, equity, inclusion in a workplace. So mm -hmm. despite what the pay grade is, despite what the wonderful benefits are, mm -hmm. and it's seemingly nice culture at a place of opportunity, what as a prospective employee can you ask an employer to say what, how important is this to you and get beyond just that, as you said, there's two levels of it. People are sincere or mm -hmm. it's protection. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious as to can they ask something in a respectful way and get to the root of that? Because that could, you know, if you don't say anything, you could get a job and then six months down the road be going, man, this was a mistake. Sure. 
And, you know, I think there are two levels to that. Um, if you look at a job application, you know, there are certain questions that are on there innately, you know. Yeah. Um, and they give you the option to answer. Now that I think back on them, they give you the option to answer, <laughs> you know, are, uh, are you black, white, or Hispanic? Um, are you male, female, or do you identify as transgender? Um, right. And it gives you the option to answer. But, of course, if a person chooses not to answer, you wonder. Is that this, flagged? Yeah. yeah. Am I being excluded because I don't answer this? Right, yeah. You know? Um, so, you know, I, I encourage people to answer those questions mm. um, and to answer them honestly because you have to be your authentic self. Yes. It's going to come out sooner or later, and if it's a bad fit, let me find out on day one versus the end of year one, and now I, I'm in back where I was, and I have to start this process all over That's again. That's awful. It is. Um, but, yeah, you know, and if you are afforded an interview, I think that it goes a long way to to ask those questions that may be pertinent to you and pertinent to that employer mm-hmm. at, a, at some given point in time. Um, I think for an example, for one, I know that there's some uh, faiths that worship on days that are not traditional or they start their worship at a certain time of the week and it goes to a certain point. Right. And at those points, they're not available for work, Mm. you know? And I think in some cases, not all, that that's a reasonable accommodation. Mm. And an employer can say, hey, you know what? They told me about this. They fit the criteria for what I need for this job. I'm willing to work around this accommodation for for their religious practices. But there again, you have to be open enough and comfortable enough to say, I have this need. Yeah. You know, I I, I have this um, responsibility. Right. And um, this is what I need to, to do. I need this to be considered for me to be able to take this job. Here's another one of those simple phrases that mm-hmm. we can all, no surprises. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. We don't need to be open and honest in the interview, and it'll take you a long way. If your vision to be at that company is to be long-term or two years, whatever it is. Exactly. That will help you mm-hmm. pave the way to have the comfort level to work there, whatever level it is. And that's a great point. And, um, you know, that's something that I never believed until I, I actually did it, and it, 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 it helped me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was interviewing for a company, and I was in law school. And um, they said, you know, with you going to law school, do you plan on staying here after? And I honestly, I said, no. I said, but this is going to be at least a two-year commitment for me, and I can commit to being the best leader that I can be for the next 24 months. Sure. I said, if something happens, you know, I'll be open and up front. But I told them up front, and, you know, I was given the opportunity. Cool. Yeah. 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 See what happened? Exactly. And I, I would, you know, flag it to say that's the same company where I worked with the young man that was visually impaired. Mm. You know, so they 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 were kind of on the forefront of on this diversity, equity, inclusion wing of the plane. They, mm. they, they got it, you know, and I think they're still getting it. I'm so glad you get back on the plane. I'm too. back on the plane. I'm focused now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Good, because we're moving to 10,000 feet. All right. All right. For business and culture leaders or developers, mm-hmm. how do you think about building a healthy, diverse, and inclusive culture mm-hmm. from the group up? Okay. That's a great question. I, and I think it starts with the commitment to education. Okay. Um, I'm going to plug the, 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 the chamber here just because I Go think for they're it. doing some things that are, that are really amazing. Um, there are two that, that come to mind right now. Um, we have a program called the Minority Business Accelerator. All right. We call it the MBA. What it is is uh, we uh, select a cohort of 12 to 15 minority businesses, and mm-hmm. they go through an application process and the interview process. And um, we want them to have been in business for a three to five year period, mm-hmm. um, making a, a, a certain amount of revenue and employing at least one person. Right. Right. Um, by and large, these businesses are established and they are successful. But these leaders are astute enough to know that 
if we get a little bit more wisdom behind us, a little bit more experience behind us, we can take this to another level. Sure. Right? So the chamber has um, partnered with some of the other area chambers, Greenville, uh, Myrtle Beach, who are doing the same thing, Columbia. Mm. And um, we have this cohort of minority businesses, and they're so diverse and they're so dynamic. Um, medical consultants, um, doctors of physical therapy, um, food and beverage industry. All kind of industry. Logistics, all types, um, housing. It just sharing ideas. Sharing ideas. Oh, man. So what the, the purpose of the program is, is we paired them with a business strategy coach, mm-hmm. um, someone from the local area that has been successful in business, mm. and we also paired them with a financial strategy coach. Okay. So with minority businesses, a lot of times finances are what kind of get in the way, the lack of, of knowledge of how to handle my finances that's a, a big trigger sure. for minority businesses. Yep. So we, we, we take that out of the way. You know, we, we pair them with, like I said, a business strategy coach and a financial strategy coach. And we also segment them into what we call CEO groups. So it's three to five members of the cohort that work together. They may be all in separate industries, uh-huh. but through synergy, you know, they, they're learning different things that right. they can incorporate into their businesses and energy is just is rampant. It's, wow. Yeah, it's it, it's amazing to watch. So they're with us for a year, they'll graduate, and at the end of it, their uh their deliverable is a strategic growth action plan. That's the plan that they're gonna follow for the next three years that's gonna help them to scale up. Okay. And through this year they should be able to make it as specific and relevant to their business as possible. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Set goals. Yes. And and move forward. So if someone is interested in this program, Richard, yes. Um, you said it's a year long. Yes. When does it run and how often do they meet and how can they get connected if they hear this? Great question. Um, so we will probably open up the uh, application in September. Okay. Um, but if someone wants to information now they can email me call me reach out to me and i kind of keep a database of who's interested and say you know what when the time comes i'll reach back out to you gotcha um they meet uh once a month with their business strategy coaches there's a classroom component that's done at the chamber okay um they meet once every two weeks for two hours all right um we have uh, an instructor who's just amazing um he's been doing it for 10 years and um they go through modules, um, HR, finances, uh, growth. Um, like traditional education yeah, components of exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But much more realistic. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. so much based in theory. Practical. Exactly. We, we take, you know, when, when they get to that level of comfort, you know, we may say, hey, bring your financials in and let's take a look at yeah. it together as a class. Or what are you running into specifically in Charleston that's been, you know, specifically good for you or what's been specifically bad for you? Yeah. And they get, you know, down and dirty in it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's um like I say it's just so exciting to watch. The second thing that I would plug is our um we're planning for our third annual diversity, equity and inclusion conference. All right. Um that's gonna be held on April fifth at the uh, Marriott on Lockwood. All right. Um, more information is on the website, on the Chamber's website. Yep. Um, the full agenda is on there. But the uh, the theme for the, con- for the uh, conference is uh, mutual prosperity, building an equitable community. All right. So as Charleston has grown, not everyone has had the ability to grow with it. Mm-hmm. And we want to do something about that. Mm. So with this MBA program and with this conference, you know, we're putting the knowledge out there. And um, for the people that attend the conference, we ask them, hey, don't come alone. Bring, you know, bring your workforce. Absolutely. Bring your staff. You know, let them see what people are running into. And it's, it's an amazing conference. I mean, the agenda is mind-blowing. This will be my first one because of when I started. Right. And I can't wait. Um, you know, we have uh, panels mm-hmm. of uh, chief diversity officers, CEOs. Was it kind of like breakouts? Yes. Or? Okay. Um, right. We have uh, learned, experienced um, 
discussions. Yeah. These are kind of like TED Talk type deals yeah. where a person awesome. takes 10 to 15 uh, minutes. We have them uh, ranging from young leaders to um, we have a presenter from uh, AFA, the Alliance for Full Acceptance. Okay. Um, just anything you can think of. It's a jam-packed day, 8.30 to 4.30. Okay. Um, That's a full day event, April 5th. It's a full 5th. day, yeah. It's a full day, but it's it's an amazing lineup, and uh, I'm so excited to, to see it unfold and to be a part of it. So I know those who are listening are digesting a lot of information, and we're giving them uh, events and different discussion topics regarding DEI here. So any of the events or programs that we talk about will be available below this podcast, so you can just click the links there and get to it conveniently. Uh, we'll make sure that that's all put in place. All right, Richard, we're at 5,000 feet. Woo! We can see the ground now, man. <laughs> yes, we can. And we'll, all the flaws that come with it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> what are the unexpected challenges? Now, when I say unexpected, that's almost, how do I know it's a challenge if it's if I don't know it exists? But do you see things on the horizon that that be, could become an issue? I go back to the word sincerity. Okay. That's probably my, my biggest concern, that people don't adopt the practices of diversity, equity, and inclusion in a sincere manner, but to do it just because I'm checking the box off. Mm. Um, and my, my true hope is that, you know, for whatever reason you, 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 you take part in this journey, that at some point in time, if, if, if your level of sincerity or your level of trust for it or your level of knowledge isn't where you want it to be, that you allow yourself to grow organically and to see that there is a case for this, that people are different, we've always been different, mm-hmm. and that we need to have the level of understanding, the level of maturity, the level of respect for a person to see them as they want to be seen because that's different for everyone. Absolutely. Please fasten your seatbelts and return your chair to its upright position. We are preparing for landing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was amazing. How's that for theater? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, we're at ground level. We know the basics, um, where and what the priorities need to be addressed, both short-term and long-term, um, to ensure a healthy DEI, a DEI workforce. Um, moving forward for you, what do you ask businesses to do at this point to kind of do an assessment as to where they are with this? Um, I preach the word awareness. Um, take an objective look at what you, what you know, what you don't know, mm. what you see, what you don't see, and use the resources that are out there, mm. um, the chamber being one of them, mm. to, to, to take an, uh, an objective look at how you're doing business, how you've been doing business, and where's your opportunity to, to improve? Because we all have it. Yeah. You know, that's not pointing a finger at any one industry or any one person or any one business, but we all have the opportunity to, to expand and to do more in regards to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we live in a, in a place, in a city where, you know, it, it can really benefit those who embrace it. Huge culture here. Huge culture. You know, it's definitely turned into a melting pot. Yeah. And, and the growth isn't stopping anytime soon. No. So the, the, the further you, the, the quicker you can get on the plane. The plane, yes. <laughs> not the, the train. The better you will be. And and not in the car. Exactly right. <laughs> no planes, no cars. <laughs> All airplanes. <laughs> so that leads me to my final question. And this almost circles all the way back to the beginning of the conversation we had. Some of the uh, reading or experiences or mentors that influenced your values and how you see diversity, equity, and inclusion. You mentioned your mom's influence and your personal influence yes. early in the conversation. 
Are there other components that you think about that go, wow, those people have really shaped my life and have been invaluable to me? Yes, sir. Um, This is an important question for me. Um, When I got here to the Charleston School of Law, I started back in 2009, and it didn't go quite the way I wanted at first. (laughs) (laughs) I I wasn't that A student that it just clicked with, and uh, I I took off running. I I struggled, you know. Honestly, I did. There was a program, um, and I'm sure the program is still in place, um, called Academic Success. Yes. And um, at the time, there was a, a, a new dean who came in, I think, about the same time I did. He's no longer with the college. He's moved because of some career opportunities and some family obligations. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Hoke. Mm-hmm. And um, this person is, to me, the reason why I'm sitting where I'm sitting right now. Mm. Without him, I would not have finished law school. Without him, I would not have had the confidence or the fortitude or or the, I don't know if I said confidence or not, but to, to continue and to complete this journey. When I didn't understand a thing, he made time for me. Mm. Um, if something was too hard, he would take a different approach. Um, it, I never had him for an actual class, but you know, I can't tell you the amount of times he sat in the library with me till you know two o'clock in the morning until I was comfortable with what I was doing or had a level of comfort. And. Um, you know, I finished 10 years ago, and uh, he was at graduation, of course, <laughs> and he said, this isn't the end of our journey. <laughs> and uh, if I pulled up my phone right now and showed you my text messages on my call log, you will see that we're in contact daily. Wow. Yeah. Um, the relationship building that you do when you're here and throughout your career, yeah. whether you go into the legal industry or not. Yeah. Is so important. Yeah, and he's not the only one. I've had a lot of great relationships built here. Mm-hmm. But for him, and he's an older white man. At the time, I was a younger black man, younger, <laughs> younger than I am now. Right. But that just, there was nothing to it. We were just two people that connected. Yeah. And um, I'm proud to call him a friend. I'm proud to call him a friend. I'm proud to call him a mentor. And I'm proud that I can call him with anything and he'll hear me objectively with no judgment. He'll give me his opinion as a friend, whether I'm right, whether I'm wrong. The trust is there. And um, I so appreciate that. And that's, you know, I, I, I attribute that to this school of law to have allowed that type of relationship to be fostered even. Um, because he didn't have to do those things, mm. you know. But he had the freedom to do it, and he wanted to do it, and he cared enough about me as a person to do it. So, um, That's what makes good leaders great leaders mm-hmm. and good teachers great teachers. Yes. That's the defining line. When they yeah. truly and genuinely care about another person's growth and who they are, yeah. You know, both as a person and a professional. Exactly. I remember one day um, I was particularly having a, a really rough day, and I, I went into his office, and, uh, you know, I put my book bag down, and I said, today I feel really stupid. And he said, you're not stupid, not by a long shot. He said, this is something that you don't understand. Let's break it down to its, you know. Simplest. Very, simplest, simplest form. Yeah. And, and look at it differently. Yeah. And, you know, by the time I left his office that night, you know, I, I felt totally different. And I felt, you know what? I'm not stupid. And, uh, <laughs> well, I can and, tell you that's true. And, 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 I, and I can, you know, uh, look at things differently. And I don't have to learn it the same way someone else does. Absolutely. And I think that 
this is what a part of this work is. Yeah. You know, embracing difference and coming to it your own way. All I ask for it is that you do it with sincerity. Yeah. It's an evolution process. It's a growing process throughout our life. And as soon as you stop growing, I think you you begin to wither and die slowly. Right. Um, you know, in, in the world of faith, as Christians, we call it the sanctification process. Absolutely. But let's not... Uh, that's a different podcast, too. Next time. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Next time. Uh, Richard Waring, VP of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion at the Charleston Chamber. After this conversation, I want to call him Dr. Richard Waring. <laughs> so I give you the honorary doctorate Thank for this. <laughs> we have to have you back on and talk some more about Charleston and loves and things in this community because there's so many great things going on both at the chamber and in our community as well. It would be my pleasure. Uh-huh.